Imagine, if you will, a developer who's close to launching their team's first big app. All that's left is to have the pen testers give it the final check. Instead of a quick review, it turned into a 13-year security odyssey. An epic tale of how a setback turned into something beautiful. In this episode, I speak with Simon Bennett, the creator of OWASAP, a great piece of security software, and I hope you enjoy it. I am here with Simon Bennett. You may or may not know, has something to do with this little project called OWASAP that has some amount of popularity on the internet, let's say. But for people who have been living in an AppSec hole, Simon, do you want to give us a quick elevator pitch about your background and then what you're all about? Sure. Hi, Matt. Great to see you again. And well, Zap is a tool for finding vulnerabilities in web applications. It's an OWASP project, which means it's completely free. It's open source. Anyone can download it. And it's a community project, so anyone can get involved. It's also, we believe, it is the world's most popular web application scanner. And that's more popular than any of the other commercial ones as well being free helps, but it's not just that. There's a lot of other free ones out there. It's really well maintained and it's a community project so anyone can get involved. And that's the elevator Excellent. pitch. Yeah, awesome. Zap has been fantastic, man. I want to actually look back in the history book since you and I have some amount of time together. <laughs> what what prompted you back in the Zap doesn't exist days to take this thing called Peros Proxy, if I'm recalling correctly, mm. fork it, and then update it significantly. I don't, there's probably maybe a couple lines of Paris left in there. Maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> a few, uh, but not many. <laughs> yeah. Because it's not nothing like Paris used to be. But so what prompted that decision? What made you like start down this trail? Well, it, I, what, this wasn't the plan. I was not planning on creating a, a security project product like this. And um, I was a developer. So well, team lead, developer, very hands-on. And my team developed a, an online web application for a particularly large financial company related company in the UK. And we thought about security, or we thought we'd thought about security. And but we got the pen testers in just to, you know, a couple of weeks before release, tick in the bot exercise, prove we'd done everything right. Got them in, put them in a room, gave them all the information they could possibly need. You know, they're there to help us, obviously. Went back an hour later to see if I could help them at all. One of them was logged into our admin console as myself. They'd got root access. It, was, it wasn't that bad. It was actually much worse because they'd cracked the single sign-on system for the whole company in an hour. I said this is a very large company. This was a technically out of scope, but we were really pleased that they found it and reported it and obviously fixed we fixed it very quickly that wasn't actually in my code so that wasn't my fault but they found plenty of other things i mean i've done pen tests since which have been more <laughs> more damning but at the time it seemed like a car crash it was like oh my god you know i thought it was a good developer i thought i knew how to develop products that did what they're supposed to do they were maintainable they're performant all these things they clearly weren't secure so i had to learn about security I'd never had any security training, like a lot of developers back then, maybe some now, but I like learning on my own. The pen testers told me about OWASP. I hadn't heard of OWASP before, I had to admit. So top 10, devoured that. But I learn best by doing things. I learn best by playing with stuff. So I downloaded a load of free open source security tools. And what, I'd, what I was really looking for was uh, a web security tool that I could 
play around with and learn. One that I could run against my software every night so I wouldn't be embarrassed by the pen testers again. And I'd been using open source for many years and I'd thought about getting involved in the past. And I thought, well, this would be a good chance to get involved in open source web security product and learn from it. And there weren't any ones that were maintained out there. Nothing. And uh, it just felt wrong to me. You know, it just didn't seem right. I just thought there needed to be something like that. But found Paros. I was playing around with that. I liked it. It was relatively simple. Could kind of get my head around it. And there were a few things that were annoying to me. Remember, there was one right-click menu where you could open the manual request editor. And it's either in the sites and not the history or the other way around. And that annoyed me. But it's written in Java. I'm a Java dev. And I still remember putting it into Eclipse, making that change, getting it right second time, and seeing my change reflected on the, this desktop app. I'd never worked on desktop apps before. It's like, oh, this is cool. Well, maybe there's some potential here. But I started, you know, I, I think it's a really good, if you're trying to learn something, try teaching other people stuff. That really makes you understand things better. So I started giving very simple top 10, oh, was top 10 talks to other developers where I worked, developers and QA. And the first question they asked every time was, what tools should we use? Gave a few of these talks and thought, okay, I will have a look around, do another proper look and say, what tool should I recommend these developers and QA people to use? I didn't want to go into the business and say, we need to spend loads of money. That's not, that, I didn't want that battle at the time. Yeah. So it's going to be free open source. Everyone used Windows. I was using Linux. I wanted to be cross-platform. It didn't have to be the most powerful, most effective. It just had to be good enough. And I kept on coming back to Paros. Or maybe not Paros, but maybe the version I was hacking around with on my desktop. So I thought, okay, I'll go for it. I created a whole new set of accounts called Sign-On with nothing to do with me, just in case I got sued or in case the security people laughed at me. And I released it as, and I, I didn't want it to be Paros V2, so I called it Zap. And yeah, offered it to OWASP and a couple of months later, to my surprise, OWASP accepted it, which was, yeah, that was a surprise. <laughs> Well, at the time, I well, there was Web Scarab and a few other things, but particularly in the open source world, really Paros and Web Scarab were it. Web Scarab was a fantastic tool, but hey, I talked to Rogan, the person who wrote it. Mm. He'll tell you that UI was was not intuitive. I couldn't get and, my, my head around it. I mean, I, I played with. I thought, well, this is this is clearly the oldest tool. This is going to be the one I should learn, and I it didn't make sense to me. Whereas Paros did. So that's why I went. And I thought I would much rather start with something simple that I can understand and make it more complicated, you know, not deliberately more complicated, just but to try and enhance it rather than take something complicated and try and make it more simple. Yeah, no, that's a much better route because you're right. There's something to be said for, and this is an interesting facet of having been in the AppSec world for a while. I did the OWASP Live CD back in the day. Right. Mm. And that was a collection, a base, very basic collection of appsec tools, the ISO image you could boot up and play with. Right. Yeah. That was very much for entry-level people. And I had some of my coworkers or fellow pen testers tell me like, I don't use your thing. And I'm like, you shouldn't use your thing. Mine's a gateway drug. <laughs> right. I'm exactly. trying to get into appsec easily. And then once you get in, you really don't need this sort of, you know, entry collection of tools, you'll pick your own and you'll probably install them locally and it's fine. But I wanted yeah. people to experiment for a low cost. And I think you did the similar thing with Zap. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's, I mean, talking about 
interfaces for security tools. Every so often I hear people say, well, Zap's not intuitive or something. And my argument is security tools aren't intuitive. They're not doing intuitive things. They're doing weird shit. You know, that's what they're there to do. And we have to come up with a whole set of concepts. And sometimes we get them right for certain people. Some people say they think Zap is really intuitive, and that's great. Some people find it completely unintuitive. It, I guess it depends how you think and what tools you're used to. So if you start with our <laughs> Burp, our main commercial competitor, you will find Zap really strange. But then if you start with Zap and go to Burp, you'll find Burp really strange. You know, is one better than the other? Well, from an inter interface point of view, they're different. And it's not right. that one's right and the other one's wrong. They're just, we've got some different concepts because we're doing weird shit. <laughs> well, that's always been a funny aspect of one of the, or I should say, one of the things I like to do is to take tools for purpose A and use them for purpose B that maybe they weren't exactly intended <laughs> for. Yep. And I've done that several times throughout my career, just with random things. But one of the things I noticed, particularly because I, I, trying to find good security tooling, particularly automation, I looked at a lot of QA stuff, right? Because, mm. hey, there's a lot of automation in QA. That's a fairly mature industry. They've been quality testing software forever. Yeah. But one of the funny things was, particularly in the API domain, is those tools make nice requests, right? <laughs> Valid structural requests. Now, I can fiddle with the data in the request and yep. do kind of fuzzing with a QA tool, but I couldn't do, like you said, weird junk, like 50 repeats of the same XML tag pair, right? Because they just won't allow you to. So it was a very interesting thing to see. Like, I'm actually constrained by the tool because to do security, I need to do really weird stuff. So you, you use the B word <laughs> burp, right? Yep. So what, give me, I'm, like, I'm curious, cause I haven't had this issue, but what's it like having an air quote commercial competitor? And also what's it like knowing that your software is, I'm assuming parts of many commercial offerings, right? Uh, yeah. The problem with burp is that they're a really good, it's got a really good team behind it and it's popular with its users. They're exactly the sort of competitor you don't want. <laughs> I would admit that we have other competitors, commercial competitors, who are very expensive. We like them as competitors. And quite a few of our users say we're actually better than they are. But Burp is different. Burp is, you know, a, there are a commercial company. They've got something like 30 full-time employees. They've got some of the best people in the business. I don't want them as competitor. <laughs> We've got them as a competitor. It's a shame. That's not the competitor I'd have chosen. Burp is a really good tool. If you're a professional pen tester, then I think you should have a Burp Pro license. But you should also know how to use Zap. You shouldn't constrain yourself to one particular tool. If you're a developer or a functional tester, Zap will probably do everything you want from a security tool. So particularly once you get into automation, and scripting, Zap, that is where Zap really shines. Zap has its strengths, and there's certain things Zap is better than Burp, particularly, I think, around the automation and the scripting. Burp is a really good tool, and it's the industry standard for pen testers. So, yeah, that, that's my line, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I've done that. I've used both. And honestly, one nice advantage to Zap is if I get a new laptop and I, dang it, I haven't quite moved over my Burp license. I'm one, I'm one very quick download away from having a, a local proxy that's very, very functional, right? It's mm. super easy. I love that. And I love that for the training classes I've done. Here's a $0 fully featured local proxy for you to use. I've used that yeah. tons in my training classes for that very reason. 
And like you said, from my perspective, the students can go back and for $0 replicate what I'm hopefully teaching them back at the office, wherever they're doing their work. So one of the things I wanted to ask, you've run what I would say is a rather successful project for a, a <laughs> while now. Um, mm. What have the lessons you've learned that helped you be successful? And what are the things you kind of wish you could talk, tell your past self? <laughs> oh, good question. I've heard it said that, you know, the most effective open source projects or projects generally are a small core set of people working on one on one product. And I think that's probably right, but that's not the route we've gone down with Zap. When I released Zap, I said it was a community project and it was a community project because I said it was a community project and I wanted people to get involved. And I said that because at the time, I was just doing Zap in my spare time. I couldn't do it as part of my job. So I knew there's loads of things that could be done that I couldn't do. But also I was looking for that community-based project to join. And as I couldn't find it, I was trying to create the, the community project that I wanted. And that's something that I think I got absolutely right. And Zap is still that community project. We've had loads of people involved over the years. We've got a core team, currently four of us, but the numbers have gone up and down over the years. We've had hundreds of people get involved in smaller uh, facilities, and we've had loads of students, often through Google Summer of Code, but also doing projects directly. We have, actually have a stu um, student hall of fame on the website, and it was great nice. researching that because so many of those students are now have got very important jobs with the industry. So this is a way, Zap is a way that security people can get into development. Development people get into security. Students can get into either development or security. And you don't need to have any qualifications. A friend of, of son of a friend of my wife's who has no, you know, is learning both security and programming. And he's looking at Zap. And this is great. This is what we want. We can't give people hands-on training, but we mentor them. We mentor lots of people. We'll mentor anyone who wants to try and work on Zap. And anyone can get involved. And pretty much anyone who's got onto the core team has had job offers as a result of it. And some of us have accepted them. Nice. Beautiful. Well, is there any things you, where you felt like you made missteps that you kind of wish you hadn't gone down or has it been fairly smooth for you? And uh, I'm assuming like the transition of people in out is an interesting thing that we have that in OWASTF like Dojo, hmm. right? You have like a great contributor who's around for a period of time and then life happens to them and they yeah. go on their way and you'd certainly like no harm, no foul, but no. it it, it kind of hurts from a project perspective, right? They like that person was awesome and they just got busy with life or had a kid or whatever the reason is, right? And they're they're out. Now now what do you do? Yeah. I mean is when whenever a fairly significant contributor stops contributing, you think, could we have done something different? Should we have supported them more? But it's spinning plates, you know, running an open source project. There's so much going on. And I think it really comes down to you need to spend as much time as possible, both on maintaining the project and managing it, but also I got involved because I want to cut code. That's I like cutting code. So yeah, I don't just want to manage Zap as a project. I want to get involved and do fun stuff as well. So it's when I can't. I mean, at one stage we did plan to create Zap as a service. We said we were going to do it, and we just found out too much hard work. There was too much else going on. So there's a million things we would like to do. But we can't because we haven't got enough people. But if people want to get involved, we can do more. Yeah. So, so speaking about people being involved in in doing more, obviously, the original hacked up Peros version of Zap 
that was its start is nothing like what it is now. What are some of the surprise features or ads or plugins that have happened around Zap that, because I, I, I like you inevitably, even in the open source projects I've been involved in, somebody will drop something that's out of the clear blue sky and you're like, holy cow, that is fantastic. Like, I never thought of that. What a cool thing. Have you had some of those that you can share with us? Oh, I mean, we've seen people use Zap for weird things. Actually, the first Google Summer of Code, we ended up having, I think it was three different, we had three students and you're supposed to only have one, but it just worked out that we had three. I think one was actually a student for Mozilla and that's where I ended up working and that student implemented um WebSocket support. And that was awesome because that was the first secure, we were the first secure, security tool, as far as I'm aware, to have decent WebSocket support. And I think our WebSocket support still outshines pretty much all of the commercial competition as well. Then another student worked on the Ajax Spider, and that was actually supposed to be a, on a different OWASP project, but it turned out that OWASP project was a thin shim on top of Crawljacks. Oh. Um, which, uh, and that was like, okay. So we ended up taking that student under our wing and basically putting Crawljacks inside of Zap. And the Ajax Spider then kind of is a different... We've got a traditional spider which follows links, but the Ajax spider launches browsers and clicks on things. And that's essential for modern web apps. So that was... And again, we're one of the very first security projects to have that. And then the third student, the only one was supposed to have was working on, I think it was session handling, but as a whole, they carried on working for quite a few years on Zap and did a whole load of different things. So that was really great. But also the HUD was another fun one because yeah, I was a heads up I was display. Hoping get there. I love that one. I mean, that was something I came up with years ago, but I just didn't have time to work on it. But then a student, David Scribonia, got in touch and said, hey, Simon, I've got this idea for a Chrome add-on that would basically bring Zap into the browser. Okay, this is very interesting. I do work at Mozilla, though, so Chrome-only add-on <laughs> might not be so popular. But also, we've got another idea of how to do this. Would you be interested in working on it directly? And we... Because he talked about it doing for Google Summer of Code, but I kind of encouraged him not to go down that route because I knew it would be more than one summer. And I was actually lucky because he ended up traveling and he would have failed Google Summer of Code. He didn't do enough work. But because it wasn't part of that, it didn't matter. He just turned up in some random place around the world, sent us a message. Hey, Simon, I've just been playing around with this and I've got this working. It's cool. So that was and the way the HUD works is we're actually injecting the Zap content into the web application. Really nasty stuff. But yeah, I've not seen anyone else, anything like it in any commercial tool. So the HUD's definitely a fun one. It reminds me of what's almost like a contra example to the traditional complaint about open source, at least in the early days of open source in particular, where there was this complaint of like all open source is doing is copying existing commercial software and making it free. They're not innovating. Well, exactly. like, I don't agree with that. Look at the bloody HUD, right? The HUD is a really, was really cool. I mean, it, that was a, and what a, like for, particularly for training from, um, this is my background. I like doing training for training purposes. What a great way to get an easy introduction to a local proxy. Cause I don't know about you, but I got really good with alt tab when I was doing lots of <laughs> yeah. testing, right? Between browser and proxy, browser and proxy, yep. browser and proxy. Always. Right? It, it, then you just one window open all the time. This is, this is great. <laughs> Yeah, I think, I mean, I was hoping the HUD would be more popular. I know some people love it. I was wondering whether we could get more pen testers interested, not for the deep testing, but 
you know, when it comes down to it, I think sometimes pen testers focus on the tool too much. And the really fun vulnerabilities are actually application ones, the logic. So you have to get under the skin of the application. It's not just the requests and responses, it's how it's actually working and the sequence of events and how can you abuse the functionality rather than just the requests and responses. And that I think is really interesting. So it's a gr I think the HUD is a great way when you're exploring application. You can focus on the application, but if you want to see what's going on underneath, you've got the HUD there, and then if you've got Zap underneath it, or you can proxy Zap through Burp and still have the HUD. So um, you know you can you can do nasty oh, things like that. Um, yeah. I actually did a yeah I did a demo at some conference somewhere, and here's the HUD. We're running through Burp. <laughs> oh, Zap in between, but you know who cares? That is you beautiful. Know? It, I, I had a great business logic issue in an app I was testing. It was an app that if you owned a commercial building, right, and you sold mm. multiple floors to multiple companies, and then you needed to manage that building. So this was an app that did that. And I realized that it allowed me to change my username, which mm. apps do, and that wasn't anything big. But then I also noticed that when I, in this app, you could assign contractors to go fix the plumbing on the fourth floor, right? Mm. So... What I realized is I could change my name to a coworker's username, assign jobs to my friend, the plumber. And <laughs> yep. in the audit log, my friend hired, I mean, my coworker hired my friend repeatedly. So if it ever came down that they're like, hey, there's this inside job. And what it boiled down to is they allowed a usable, editable item to end up in the audit log, right? Because yep. my username was like user blah hired contractor, whatever. Yep. And it was, and it's just, it was a simple logic thing. Like you can't give an, uh, me the ability to basically custom write the audit log. I couldn't, I tried to inject, <laughs> unfortunately for me as a tester, I couldn't inject into the audit log, but yep. I could change it in a way that made it not really an audit log anymore. I could lie via the audit log, which exactly, was exactly, yeah. Yeah. And you know, nothing, no, not a technical vulnerability, just like a use case whoops. Yeah, definitely. So you've seen web app testing for a while now. What did you think has changed? How is it, how is the, like how it, like testing a web app today, how is it different from usual? Particularly, I'm assuming APIs are playing a much bigger role now in testing. Like how has that all changed since you've got to see it kind of from the front lines working on Zap? We don't get told how people use Zap. So, and, you know, and I don't do a huge amount of pen testing myself, particularly now, but definitely have things, seen things change. I think. I actually think the security applications is getting better. I think there is more security knowledge in developers and the pattern of modern web applications where you have a modern JavaScript-based UI with APIs behind it is actually generally more secure because there's often more security in the JavaScript libraries. They're better escaping things. And because you've got that separation of logic, the UI and the API, people think about things differently. It's not your old web calls. And it's like, okay, we want to do this. We'll just, you know, bodge this together. If you've got APIs, people tend to think about them a bit more. Okay, we'll have an add user, delete user, amend user type API calls. And it's because you have that separation, things don't get blurred. And as soon as things get blurred, that's where mistakes happen or un unintended consequences happen. If you've got a clean API, it's easier to secure or to think about it in a secure way about what it should do. It doesn't mean, you know, it's not the solution to application security. There is no solution. There is a lot of things we've got to do and do better. But in general, I think things are getting better. 
the move towards modern web apps is a pain from security point of view because these apps are harder to explore, to crawl. And bizarrely, single sign-on is actually making, in some ways, is making apps more insecure. Now, this is because it's so hard to automate. So, you know, if you're testing in dev or something, then you're fine, hopefully. But we've got had a lot of people come to us and say, how do I get Zap to authenticate using single sign-on? And Zap is very flexible in authentication. We should be able to cope with anything, pretty much, if you can get the data to us. You know, if you've got a one-time password, you've got to be able to get that to Zap. But Zap, right. you know, it's scriptable in authentication. It can do all sorts of horrible things, but it doesn't mean it's easy and nothing is out of the box. And I think there's a lot of applications that use single sign-on that aren't getting tested by automated tools because it's so hard. And it's not just Zap that suffers from this, all tools do. So I've been trying to get in touch with some single sign-on vendors and encourage them to have options to allow us to automate better. But that seems to be an uphill struggle. So yeah, single sign-on is a real pain. Well, and I imagine from the perspective of the single sign-on providers, an easy route for automation could be seen as almost a backdoor to bypass single sign-on, right? I mean, it's it's a catch-22, right? It's a very interesting thing. The same, because uh, I've thought that I've done lots of automation work and you're right, mm -hmm. like it, it it's work <laughs> to make yeah. some of that stuff happen. And it feels like sometimes the systems fight you more than work with you. And it would be nice if there was a way to sort of allow like, hey, I'm a known tester from a known you know, like place, please allow me at least to just do the username password thing so I can get through and move on or whatever I need to do, whatever special dance. Yeah, but I mean, happen. if you have a set of automation credentials, you can restrict those to particular IP address ranges. You can see when they're used, you have a single place where you can cancel them, whatever. I think, the cost of not doing this is actually worse than doing it from an industry point of view. The single sign-on providers, they're fine. They make it difficult for automation. They don't have to worry about it. But from the user point of view, that means it's much harder to do both security testing and automated UI testing as well. Well, and then what do you do if you're on the software writing side? Do you just have a test environment that doesn't do single sign-on? And then you have the, I don't know if you heard about yep. Optus, that, yeah, Optus, the telecom in Australia that had a, their test environment, it seems accidentally get exposed publicly and they had no off on the testing environment. Mm. Oops. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, you, yeah. do you have that difference between staging and live then, which is again, not good. So I do think a better way of automating tools to interact with single sign-on systems is, would be very useful across the industry. Yeah, it's funny how sometimes those things, the, the, the converse of that same issue where like the increased controls can actually hurt in some regards, mm. in this case, like the ability to assess. But even on the flip side too, if you think about APIs, you can't do MFA to an API. Mm. I don't really, I mean, you can do some client profiling for API calls, although I don't recall ever seeing an API that did that, honestly, because how do you distinguish my curl from your Java from somebody else's exactly. Python at an API yep. level. Uh, you're just getting yep. an HTTP request with some headers and a body. Yeah. Like how does that, you know, you can't tell that my screen size is X by Y, <laughs> right? Like, exactly, yeah. It's a very different world. It's kind of interesting how you have that, the, the lack of controls can sometimes make things like APIs be a very interesting target because as an attacker, I'm never gonna get an MFA challenge if I'm poking at an API. I know this. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> right. I haven't bought my Python code a phone, 
to get that SMS two-factor. Yep. <laughs> Excellent. Well, one of the things I like to do in these is I have this card deck of from the uh, Basecamp Card Company, and there's these very interesting... My daughter was a resident assistant at a university here in Texas, and she was has to do meetings with her residents, and she was worried about conversation starters, so we got her this deck of cards, and I now am using a, another copy of that same deck of cards to randomly pull an unrelated to anything question and oh, ask oh. you. <laughs> yeah, so this is the bonus time. <laughs> the bonus right. time of the podcast. So, well, you got an ace, so there's something. <laughs> oh, interesting. Do you have any regrets? What's your biggest one? Oh, in work terms? or <laughs> It's wide open. It could be what oh, you've had for dinner last night. Yeah. <laughs> like there I, no constraints on this one. I try to not have regrets. I think when I was younger, I was more afraid of making mistakes. And that maybe have a regret around that, because I think I found out later in life that you tend to learn more from your mistakes. So... I think actually making mistakes is a better, th depending on what mistakes they are, you don't want to make some really serious ones, but generally making mistakes can be a good thing as long as you learn from them. So yes, there are things that I've, there's many, many things I've done wrong. None of them absolutely critical, you know, so I haven't made anything, any life-threatening ones like that. But yeah, lots of mistakes, but hopefully learn from them and maybe I should have made, made more mistakes earlier on. Well, that's an interesting, that's even like a DevOps principle, right? Is like learning from failure. And I, I think yep. you're onto something. There's really value. I've, I have, man, I have nubbed it. I can't tell you how many times. And you're right. If I can make a mistake and go, Ooh, this was painful. I never yep. want to repeat this thing. And I'm not bleeding out. Like you said, it's not health related. It's usually just profession related. Yeah. This, it is actually a really great way. Cause those, those broken knuckles, right? Those busted <laughs> knuckles you get in life are great ways to learn lessons because you remember them. Oh, well, I mean, the, you know, a really good example of that is after that pen test when it was in 2009, I was actually a really low point. This is the first service I developed for that company. It was going to be a, aiming it to be a shining example, got the pen testers in to rubber stamp it, and it was a car crash. And I was just thinking, oh, this is really not good. This is not what I wanted. But out of that, came Zap and a whole new career. So I certainly wouldn't want to undo that mistake. Um, no, you know, no, that I, was I, I, there's, really there's, the start of something. Yeah, there's thousands of people that are glad you've made that mistake, honestly, because they benefited. I don't know what the download numbers are for Zap anymore, but they got to be crazy big. Uh, well, I know check for updates, we're getting 4 million a month. Wow, that's just um, beautiful. We publish a lot of our figures. So go to zaproxy.org slash statistics. There's a whole load of stats we publish, which I've not seen any commercial tools publish. And we actually, we're now using Zap to scan against some well-known vulnerable applications and we're publishing the results. I mean, obviously you can just download Zap and run them yourselves, but we're running Zap against them every night and publishing results so that we see that if things get worse and it's an encouragement for people if you want to get involved have a look at some of these things and help us make it better oh that's beautiful i love that idea of automating the scanning of things to know and if nothing else too you can tell drift over time if zap starts to get weak in an area you suddenly know exactly and we had a case of so there's google crawl maze which is testing spiders 
And I think we scored something like 50% when we started testing early this year. And we're up to is 87%, something like that now. We've had a push trying to, and a lot of new contributors got involved in fixing things. So yeah, we just want to make that better. And we can be a lot more public about these things and admit some of our failings and like commercial tools. So we can be very honest. Yeah, well, I do love that about open source projects. It's all in the open. There's nothing to hide. Yeah. We don't need to like quietly not talk about that issue because <laughs> it makes us look bad. It's just, it's the reality, yeah. right? Exactly. Well, Simon, I want to thank you for your gift to the community of Zap, that one moment of dread that turned into a fantastic <laughs> project for the rest of us. And I'd like to thank you for your time today. It's been fantastic. Uh, thank you, Matt. It's always a pleasure talking with you. I'd like to thank No Name Security for making it possible for me to record this episode. No Name is a complete and proactive API security platform that protects APIs in real time and detects vulnerabilities and misconfigurations before they can be exploited. No Name is an out-of-band solution that integrates with your existing infrastructure to provide deeper visibility and security. Please give them a look. <laughs>